Welcome to The Meaning of the Movie, your podcast about what matters most when it comes to the film. You are about to hear a spoiler-filled discussion about the themes, the characters, and plot of this movie. I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Andrew Harmon. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Uh, I am currently sitting in a um, in my apartment recording this podcast surrounded by cardboard boxes because I am recording a podcast and moving out of my apartment at the same time. So uh, it's going to be a crazy episode, man. Well, I'm excited about today's episode, as always, because I love talking about movies. Um, this is a movie that I love. When, when you talk about movies that, what's one movie that you love that no one's ever seen? Right. This is one of the first ones that come to mind. I'm an evangelist right. for this movie. It's one of those <laughs> movies that I caught late night with my wife, Sarah. We were just kind of like scrolling through Netflix, saw the little icon, and we're like, oh, that's Peggy from Mad Men, and just clicked on it. I knew nothing about it. I'd not seen a trailer, anything else like that, and watched it. And I was just floored and blown away. And so um, ever since then, I've been an evangelist for this movie. I've probably had this on the calendar like since we started this podcast, right? Uh, it's, it's come up several times. So I, I, it's, we've been sort of waiting to do it. I feel like I should be congratulating listeners for like finding this podcast because like I, I like this specific episode. It feels like congratulations for finding the hidden episode <laughs> yeah. buried under three levels of sheetrock uh, for a movie that I'm sure no one has seen before. <laughs> yeah, I was I was even nervous to do this because I was like, is anyone going to listen to this episode? And I was like, I don't care because I want to talk about this movie with Andrew. But I do hope that you see this movie. We're going to spoil it and we're going to spoil it quickly. Like, it's hard to talk about this movie without talking about I think it it gets really twisty early on and it's best just to go in with no expectations and just walk into it with knowing as little as possible. Um, so I encourage you go see this movie and then listen to the podcast. Right. We always encourage this. Like this podcast is weird. If you haven't watched the, the movie, those of you who do listen to this podcast without having watched the movie. Uh, thanks. But like, it's so much better when you have. So this is one of the great things about this movie is that it's 90 minutes. It's an hour and a half. As far as movies go, it's like just short and sweet. It's not going to eat up that much of your time. It's two episodes of a show on Netflix. That's it. I know. It's, nine- it's, <laughs> it's a pilot episode these days. Like pilot episodes are like, a, you know, hour 20 right. long, it feels like. Exactly. And so, so it's it's short and sweet. Just like go watch it this evening. It's on Hulu. Do yourself a favor and then listen to this podcast because it's definitely worth watching. So I rate this movie really high. And the re- part of the reason why is because I'm curious about your movie rating philosophy. Like if you have Letterboxd or even if I would ask you what you give this out of 10, how you would rate it. And I should let you know my movie rating philosophy is I only compare it to uh, like I would compare this to other small indie films, right? Like this is essentially yeah. two actors, one location, ultimately, like one really great location and that's it, you know, yeah. a few other small locations. But this is kind of the definition of an indie movie because it's so stark and small and simple. And it really relies on two things that make this movie work. One is the script, which I think is a really smart script. And mm-hmm. two is the performances, which I think Elizabeth Moss and Mark Duplass, who are just giving world-class performances. And like, I, what did you think of the performances in this movie? 
I mean, when you have a movie that's set in one location with only two people, those performances better be good or else it's not going to be a good movie. And it's engaging. So, yes, it's one of those things where sometimes I think in a previous episode recently, I talked about quiet performances. I wouldn't necessarily label these as quiet performances, but they're also not big performances. They're very authentic and real and yet somehow engaging. Um, it's it's that like actors actor sweet spot where they're just being truly authentic not over the top but you are feeling their emotions even though they're they're being very very real uh and so yeah they, they do a really really good job well and this we're getting into spoiler right away but they're also playing different versions of themselves right and so they have yeah. to sometimes with very similar costuming it's not like those movies where you're playing a different version of yourself, but one person is dressed all in biker chains and that sort of stuff. And the other person is dressed in a business suit and you clearly know who is who it's like yeah. they're themselves, but just, I mean, Mark Duplass uh, play, has a line in it where he's like, it's me, but 20% cooler. And that's kind of the character that he's playing is himself, but 20% cooler. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's true. Um, there's just like a little edge too, and here we go into into the spoiler territory that you just sort of sort of mentioned. Uh, there are like shadow versions of themselves in this in this movie, and the shadow versions are not. You're right; they're not wildly different. They're just like there's this edge that you just kind of feel, even the first times you meet them before they really like really kind of reveal what the twist is. There is something off about like it almost feels like a horror movie at first because there's something just slightly off. Um, about the shadows. Yeah, it's very much like a... And you're, there's a mystery, so it feels like a Twilight Zone episode or a Black yeah. Mirror episode, something like that, where you're like, okay, we have a scene, a situation, scenario, and it's like, who are these other people? What do they want? What are they going after? And that mystery kind of pulls you all the way through the movie. So I guess my point is, I grade this movie really high because I'm not yeah. saying compared to The Godfather, compared to The Empire Strikes Back, that this is a five-star movie or, or sure. I don't even know if I'd give it five stars, but I'd grade it really high. But for one location, two actors, this is one of my favorite movies that is in that genre of just yeah. that. And so that's part of the reason why I think it's good to watch different kind of movies. Some that aren't all sweeping epics or Marvel movies or even really great dramas. Some that are just like, Hey, this is a simple little premise. It kind of feels like a stage play, honestly, in a lot of ways. Totally. It's like this is a simple premise of just people, conversations in rooms, but done in such a smart way. Yeah, you could never really pull this off on stage because of the like duplicity of it. Right. The, the fact that the mirror images are like true mirror images. It would get kind of like weird Shakespeare where you have like twins that aren't actually twins on stage. Right. Um, but yeah, it is very stage play in the sense of the like tight script, good acting, one location. I'm trying to think of other movies that are, are like this. I remember in in film school, this this was everyone's like. Uh, like golden goose unicorn they were trying to find is, is is like if you can like produce like write and direct a script that is like two actors one location and make a hit out of it then that's how you know people notice you and you can go direct dr strange or whatever right like right. um that 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 was like the the secret sauce people kept saying is like don't write sci-fi don't write like fantasy or westerns or period pieces just write two characters in a single location uh and there's not a lot of movies like that out there honestly like do, do, do you have a list of like great like 
minimal cast, one setting indie movies. The only one I can think of is Hard Candy, which is a horrifying movie with Ellen Page. And oh, I haven't uh, seen it. Oh, yeah. It's uh, about her uh, reverse stalking a pedophile. Um, and it is it's uh, they're like trapped in a one location. It's like a cat and mouse game. And it is uh, very, very disturbing, but kind of it's that same thing. One location, two actors, the whole story. Yeah, um, I think like my dinner with Andre is kind of like one sure. of those all time classics with it. Even like uh, there's this movie called The Big Kahuna, which I really liked. Um in the late nineties with Kevin Spacey and Danny DeVito. And they're all kind of in a hotel room and it's essentially three actors. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not done very often because movies move and, um, you know, when you're, it's just two people in one location, it's like, why is this a movie? Why isn't this a stage play? And this is one of those rare examples of like, yes, it is minimal locations with minimal cast, but it has to be a movie. And for me, I'm, I'm hooked from the word go of just like, okay, what's going on? Where's it happening? And I've been thinking about the type of movies we cover in this podcast as well. And to me, this is an all time like meaning of the movie. This is very much like, okay, there's a lot of interpretation here. So what does this movie mean? What does this, yeah. what is it trying to say? And especially as we're going into February into Valentine's day, thinking about relationships, this is actually one of my favorite movies about relationships. Yes, you have often mentioned this movie to me, and I haven't um, been able to get around to it until we put it on, on the schedule. And I sat down and watched it, and I was surprised by it because the pitch you initially gave me about this movie, when you described the phenomenon, was it is about two people who, you know, are at a couple's therapy retreat, whatever, and there is a whatever the twilight zone the uh, magical house that allows them and i remember you specifically saying allows them to interact with the version of themselves that or the, the the version of the other person that they fell in love with so like the basically the younger version people that are deep into a relationship getting to re interact with the the person that they first fell in love with and would you actually still be in love with that person when you've changed and that was what was in my head going into this and i'm not sure that that's the interpretation of the movie that i have i'm not sure that's what is happening um so i was kind of thrown off as i was watching it because that was the interpretation that i went in thinking about and as i went through it i was like i'm not sure that's what's going on here um or what i'm supposed to be getting out of this so i sort of tried to reinterpret as we went through it yeah, and that's what, like, I probably, I didn't even know that I said that to you. And like I said, it's best to know, like, going totally cold without even knowing anything of what's going to happen in the twist. So I didn't even remember that I said that to you. But I do think that's what this movie is about. And I don't think it's about it literally, like, in the story of the movie. Mm -hmm. But I think, like, this is my meaning of the movie. Like, I'll, I'll just say it right <laughs> at the top let's of Let's go episode. from the jump. Drop it in. What are the what's the top reason for divorce? Or if you had to guess like the top reasons that were listed for divorce or the top reasons that were listed for um, a long term relationship breaking up, what would you get? Like, give me three or four things that would be on that list. Well, I think you get one of them's obviously like I mean, there are like very specifics like we could talk about like infidelity or um, like one person does something that, you know, drives a wedge in the relationship. But I think the ultimate like catch all is the sort of 
ambiguous falling out of love. Yeah. Right. I just don't love you like I used to. Yeah. Um, is is, I think, sort of the root cause of almost any version of sort of that, you know, a breakup or divorce that you see in a long term relationship. And that is what is at the heart of this movie from the very beginning is is people talk about like it's just not the same. Right. Like we don't we we don't love each other like we used to. Yeah. And so I think if you look at like if we Googled it right now, it would say money, it would say sex, it would say, you know, pressure of life for like there'd be this list of things that cause like relationships to break up mm-hmm. but i do think what you just said is the ultimate reason which is like um we've fallen out of love and i think the reason you fall out of love is because you can't possibly live up to the version of the person you were when you first fell in love and started dating and so you can't like that person is so romanticized is so idealized in your mind that if you try to live up to that person now it just falls apart. And when couples really like whist for things, hey, the way like the opening scene of this movie that's so great is they go to this pool and they try to recreate this magical moment of when they first fell in love and they yeah. just can't do it. And so they're stuck in like wanting things to be the way that they used to be and can't get that. And then they were kind of delivered this ultimate thing, which is like, okay, you're going to get to go into a magical house and you're going to meet the person who was there when you first fell in love. Now, I'm not saying that's who Mark Duplass was when she first fell in love with him. What I'm Mm -hmm. saying is that's what it felt like. It felt Mm. like all his jokes were a little bit funnier. It felt like all the tender things he said really landed and worked. And she, she says so many times in this movie, I'm not happy. And what you realize like watching this movie is like those feelings that she used to have are not there anymore and this shadow version of mark duplass gives her those feelings and so that's what and it works for her and it does not work for him because he's suspect he's like what is this what's going on but doesn't doesn't it well we'll get to that but but for (laughs) through most of the movie right it he's like you're he thinks she's a robot right like he He's reacting the way the audience is reacting, which is this house is creepy. It's spooky. This is weird. There's a bigger conspiracy. What's going on here? And yeah. she's just like, I'm falling in love with this guy and I can't you know, help it. But who she's falling in love with is who her husband used to be, or at least who her husband, the way her husband used to make her feel. Yes. And I think that they talk about that in one line. She says something about like, they're like the memory I have of you. Which reminded me a little bit of the Christopher Nolan masterpiece Inception, which is a different kind of movie. But the whole bad guy in that movie is Leonardo DiCaprio's memory of his his wife who ends up kind of haunting him, which is a Christopher Nolan classic trope. Um, But um, that idea of in this, that memory is so... Um, alluring and potentially not even true. Um, the thing that I thought was interesting, there's there's so much that I want to talk about about what you you, you just said. Two things mainly. One, that opening scene in the pool is my most meaningful scene in the movie, which is the prologue of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it it was all not downhill from there, but for some reason that was the most like um uh captivating scene for for, for me. Um, which I think is 
interesting. Um, so do you want to talk about that, that scene for a second? And sort yeah, of let's, how let's it sets do the most the scene. Talk about it. Okay, so that that scene is my most meaningful scene, which I thought was so odd. We were like, I was probably 20 minutes into the movie, and I was like, I think the first scene's the most meaningful scene. And it's it's just like a throwaway prologue. It's not a throwaway, but it's like not the movie. Um, and the thing that I thought was so interesting was how not only realistic the idea of trying to recreate something that made you feel passionate in the past, right? Like going revisiting where you know you uh had your first kiss or like you know those those things that we do you know uh going and uh what you know whatever your first your first date going to that spot yada 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 um but that their moment where they first fell in love was they went and did something kind of crazy and an adventure and then it ended badly right the thing that they wanted was like they went and jumped in some guy's pool and it turned out that guy was there caught them yelled at them and they had to leave and the thing that they remember about that and that bonded them was actually the crisis of that not the like romanticness of like being in the pool together and like it wasn't that it was the getting caught that yeah. was the thing and that's that's like the bad part of it that's the thing that should have ruined it for them and that was the thing that ultimately when they tried to re recreate it didn't happen and made it feel hollow it's a thing they wanted they wanted to get caught again i thought that's so interesting to me of like sometimes this is not really what the movie is about, but like the things in our relationships that we hold most dear are the things that go wrong. Right. When things get yeah. ruined and then they become a story. Right. Like um, and and how much in the moments we sort of loathe that, but how those like crisis negative points in magical moments sometimes end up being the things that are the story that are our like emotional attachments to moments in our lives. And I thought that was so interesting that that was the thing they use that they used to set up sort of the, um, the premise of this relationship was a sort of stereotypical, fun, romantic adventure, but that the linchpin was the thing that went wrong in it was the thing that bonded them. Well, I mean, think about most movies is like, okay, there's a guy and there's a girl and they're in this like crazy situation together. They're like trapped together in a plane that's about to crash. They're, you know, like yeah, fighting. the antithesis of this movie. <laughs> Some right. big loud adventure. <laughs> but I think the real life version of that is, yeah. oh shoot, we snuck into a pool and we're about to get caught. Like that's real yeah. jeopardy for real life. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. not, it's not the big, you know, whatever else. But if you've ever broken into someone's house and had a light come on, like, that's adrenaline scarier than any roller coaster or whatever else. And that sort of adrenaline jump is what bonds them together. And just so it was just like, a, just a quick check on that. Uh, have you ever broken into someone's house, Rob? Yes. Yes, I have. Um, <laughs> like when I saw that scene, I was like, Oh, I've done that before. And so, um, and it's so fun. Right. I strongly we'll recommend just, it. We'll just, we'll just leave, <laughs> leave that right there. We'll just uh, leave that up on the shelf. Find someone you love, get arrested. Uh, it'll be great for you. Um, <laughs> especially in Texas, it's dangerous. Everyone has a gun. Um, but yeah, man, I just think like that sort of adventure, like, again, it's un you can't replicate it. You can't duplicate it. Right. But, but I think it's a great when you say that opening scene is like has no meaning. I'm like, no, that's the whole core of the story is like they can't no, right. recreate it's, it's... what was there. Yeah. 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 No, that's that. That's true. I, I and I 
a, a miss for saying it has no no meaning, but it's it's definitely like the setup. It's like the act one of act one. It's like not the meat of the movie. It's the setup. And somehow it was still the scene that I just like connected with the most of like this feels. And maybe it's because the rest of the movie, even though the relationships feels incredibly real, the premise sort of starts to go off the rails in the sense of like reality, um, even though the characters still feel incredibly true to life. Yeah. And to me, that's the charm of this movie is like the premise is so heightened. So it feels like a Jordan Peele movie or it feels like a yes. Twilight Zone episode. But it's just real pe- like what they're doing is so average, yeah. ordinary conversation. And then and I think it's helped. It's helped by the fact that um, the two leads here are played by Mark Duplass and Elizabeth Moss. Right. Like yep. they are they are both very normal looking people right they're not yes. like they're not like uh like weird looking character actors i'm not saying that but like they're not like hollywood right it's not like they cast like uh chris evans and <laughs> anna de armas in this movie right they're like Correct. very middle american looking folk right um and yeah, so they're, they're people who you'd have over for dinner night you know and that's right. what they look like even the like younger, hotter Mark Duplass is still like just a guy, <laughs> right? Regular right. guy. He just, he just doesn't have glasses on. <laughs> okay, so I'm it. gonna go to my most meaningful scene now. Yeah, let's talk and about it. My most meaningful scene is the scene where they're all having dinner together, um, and they're actually actually they're playing poker together later on in the night. That is and where the movie went off the rails for me. Is I didn't think they were all ever going to like meet i thought they were completely shadow people and then when they were like fully functioning individuals i was like hold the bus and i was leaning forward and i did not know what to expect that well that scene completely turned the movie for me and that's where it went on the rails for me in the sense of like that is such a bold choice and they just own it and it's so shocking in the context of the movie of like oh they're just standing in the house and we're all together and there's this massive elephant in the room and it it could have not worked and maybe it didn't work for you. But for me, it was just like so fascinating to watch them all squirm with the situation yeah. that we're as viewers, we're thinking, what is this? And, you know, totally. Ethan's character, Mark Duplass, Ethan, he's like, what is going on here? And the scene that I just love is them at the poker table and they're all talking and they're all hanging out. And he does this big like all in bet with uh, the other Ethan. Um, and he loses and you just see that like he can't win against this guy there's nothing he can do that can compete with this shadow version of himself right 20 percent cooler mark duplass yeah and you see him just squirming and hating it and it's just like i'm not gonna like i'm losing my wife to myself and that horrible thing but i think it's true i think the reason why i love this movie is i think we do lose our relationships to the ideal of the past. And I think every single day, and you may have had, if you're listening to this podcast, you may have had relationships that fell apart because we're like, ah, we're not us anymore. Like I've even heard couples talk about that. Like we used to mm-hmm. be this, but now we're not us anymore. And I've yeah. never seen a story that wrestles with this idea in such an innovative way where you see this guy is like, I'm losing my wife and not to another guy that's coming in. I'm losing my wife to a memory or an idea of who I used to be. So you see that totally unraveling. And then on top of that, you have the betrayal, which is so great, which is like, he's like, well, if we're being honest, 
let's really talk about what was going on here was today you slept with your wife and he's like yeah i slept with my wife i'm allowed to do that but you know in the morality of this movie it wasn't allowed and so that was just like a fun sci-fi twist and the way they weaved all that together i was just like this is brilliant what am i watching right now so like just a quick aside on how this movie is like paced and written and directed they set up the premise so quickly and so well and establish all the rules so well without like exposition right the like you understand how the like they can't be in the place at the same time and that once someone's in the doors lock and like all of those rules get established through like like really good character um motivation and it happens really really quickly um which i thought was just like really skillful pacing um so that like you know exactly how this is going to play out which why i think to me when they're all in the house together when the shadow versions are suddenly not confined to the guest house anymore when i say off the rails i don't mean that in a bad way i mean like i thought i understood the rules of this movie (laughs) and i clearly don't understand the rules of this movie and so now i'm like really leaning forward because you know, it's like a, a twist. And I think sometimes, you know, when we think of twists, we're like, whoa, but like movies that just kind of keep changing the rules in a way that keeps making you lean forward. It's really good storytelling, which this movie definitely does. Yeah. And, and I think it's a twist that's earned because it's like the big ace up their sleeve is what are these shadow people doing and what do they want and what's really going on with them? Are right. like, you know, you're thinking like, are they just projected fantasies of their ideal self? Is that right. what's going on? Which here? is definitely what I thought it was for a lot of it in, until that scene, obviously. Right. Until until the scene where Mark Duplass like addresses her and she's like and she basically gives up the game. The shadow Sophie gives up the yep. game and she's like, yeah, I know that I'm like, I I know what's happening here. I am also acting. Um, And, and that scene comes directly before they all meet in the big house. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's okay. So, so, but yeah, that's just my most meaningful scene because it just, all these threads that you're talking about, it does two things that I just love, which are why I love this movie, which is one, it puts together a really complicated plot in a simple way. All it is, is four people sitting around playing a poker game, but there feels like there's so much story stakes going on as well as so much sci-fi stakes all at one poker table is all warring with each other and just the fact of like you see that he has essentially done the worst thing again which has hurt his wife by sleeping with her by (laughs) you know it should be like oh this is bringing us closer together but his wife is also cheating on him and so again you see what the metaphor of this movie is which is their ideal selves are ripping apart the now and that's what's going on here. And it's just illustrated so well in that scene when after Shadow Ethan <laughs> kind of says, this is what really happens here. And you see Elizabeth Moss's, you see Sophie's reaction and her face, her, te- you know, just tears up. She goes cold and she feels so dirty and betrayed. Like I had this yeah. intimate moment and it was with you, but I didn't want it to be with you. But I did so many levels there that I just thought, this is brilliant, man. I haven't seen anything quite like this. Yeah, the the fact that that was a betrayal, the fact that he swapped places with his shadow self and they, you know, um, 
had that intimate moment. Um, the fact that that is a betrayal within marriage, which it is, right? Let's say this was a real scenario. Like, that would be morally questionable. Um, but the fact that, like, why that is hurtful to her and why she can excuse the fact that she is sleeping with the shadow version and it's because, like, she feels safe with that version. That version was able to communicate to her and speak to her, like, hurt that she had from their relationship. Like, she was actually able to overcome some of the trauma with what she needed her husband to be. And not just, like, he was kind of funnier and kind of cooler and kind of more relaxed, right? There are those moments in which later on you realize that he's manipulating her, but um, that he actually is willing to be vulnerable and willing to... um, basically be humble and be more interested in her pain and her needs than his own. Yeah. Which to me was something that I thought was really interesting in the idea of who the shadow people were and why they were in quotes better, right? Why they were more attractive to the real people, real also in quotes, right? Yeah. Was so much of what the, the, shadow people would do would be not be bothered by things that bothered the actual spouse. Yes. And I thought that was so interesting of like our ideals when we're first in a relationship. I think there's a lot of things when you're first in relationships for maybe quite some time you go like, this isn't, this bothers me, but it's not worth talking about. Right. Be, be, like right. I can, I can, I can let this go, and then the longer you, you're in a relationship, you're like, hey, like this matters to me, right? Like so, someone just this using- is my whole thing. When when I yeah. set up the movie to you, Andrew, this is what I was trying to say, which is like, they go into this house and they experience what it feels like to first be in a relationship, and that's what we ultimately want, right? We're like, oh, I want someone who just wants to like play games and laugh and tell me sweet things. And then we get all sexy and then it's great. And that's all it is. And that's what a relationship yeah. is. And they're and, and they're not bothered by the things or they they pretend to not be bothered by the things I do that actually bother them. Right. Right. So this idea of like for whatever reason, real Sophie doesn't like bacon. Right. right. Doesn't like the smell of it. Whatever. Right. We don't. It's never really explained. But for some reason, at some point, she's been like, hey, I don't like when you my husband eat bacon. And so he hasn't eaten bacon for a long time because that bothers his wife, right? At the beginning of the relationship, I'm sure that was not a thing because like at the beginning of a relationship, you're not going to drop that of like, hey, I don't like bacon. And so you have this, call it temporary, but early period of relationship in which things that truly bother your significant other are not addressed and you're allowed to do them in their presence because they don't want to bring them up yet. And there's like a freeness to that that I think you're right. We look back on like, why, why have things changed? And I think it's because we're so much more forgiving in the beginning of a relationship because we're willing to let things go because it feels temporary. And then when it becomes permanent, we go, Hey, we have to talk about this. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, Oh, we're just, I don't want to be high maintenance, whatever else. And, right. and with that disposition comes this sweet innocence that you used to have that you lose. And again, So here's my thing is most movies about relationships are either all about that phase. They're all Mm -hmm. about the early romantic falling in love phase, like all the Valentine's Day movies we're going to talk about, all the rom-coms. 
they're about that phase when you may be doing stuff to hurt the other person, but really you're trying to look impressive. You're trying to be impressive. You're trying to ultimately woo them. Or they're movies about a love that's gone cold or really hurt and has to, the fire has to be rekindled. What's so interesting about this movie is it's two people who actively like care and love for each other who are trying to figure it out. And that's so rarely a conflict in modern movies. And I think why movies are not a good place <laughs> to look for healthy relationship advice. But I'm like, this one is. This is a good one for married couples to watch and talk about and think about because it kind of unearths something that's in any sort of long-term relationship, which is the way we used to feel versus the way we are now. Yeah, totally. What do you what do you make of the fact that Elizabeth Moss character, what's her name? Sophie. Sophie yeah. so readily emotionally accepts the what basically what the guest house has to offer. Whereas Ethan goes into detective mode and does not accept sort of the emotional offering of having a shadow version of his wife who is more um, willing to please him. Um, what, what do you what do you make of that? I think it's just like things. a story choice. I think a couple things. One, one per you need that straight up sure. for the conflict, right? For and for so the conflict you have story, to have sure. it. Yeah. Um, but where what is that, I guess what does that say about their characters? Where it's motivated for me is again, she's cheated on early on, and so she's the one who has the brokenness with him, who is looking for something, you know, and she does not feel nurtured and cared for. So he his need is like, let's move forward. And her need is like, you're, you don't love me. You're not caring for me. And so she finds that in him. And also, I just think their first interactions, like, I'd have to go back and watch it again. And I've watched this movie a couple of times. But I think her first interaction, it was really innocent. And it was like, oh, what is that? You know? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, feelings matter to her. And she talks about it through the whole movie of like, I don't feel happy anymore. Mm -hmm. And he makes her feel something in a certain way. Where for him, it's just not as big of a deal. And I think that's part of the reason she's falling out of love with him is because he's acting with his head, not with his heart. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Good take. That, that's my take on it. Did you have a least yeah. meaningful scene? Um, not necessarily. I... I am I do have questions about the third act and sort of the resolution of this movie. And I'm curious to hear your description of it. Like if I wasn't jumping on a podcast right now, I would probably be googling like ending of the one I love question mark. The very last <laughs> shot you mean? No, not the last shot, the like reveal of what the shadow people actually are. I'm not sure I get it. Um is Ted Danson, a wizard? Like, what, what, what is your interpretation of what is actually happening at this retreat in the guest house? Well, that's my least meaningful scene, for sure, is, like, <laughs> one, he goes into, like, all the computer files, and he's listening to these things, and so somehow he's, like, trapping people or duping people into this, and I don't think it's, it's explained very well. And I think it's kind of fine. I think like it's like a let the mystery be. It's best just of like you're you're you know enough to know that these people are trapped and they want out and they're going to sucker these other people to get out. Like you've kind of told enough of the mythology of that, how it actually works, 
where Ted Danson is involved, who all the photos of the other people are, all that stuff really doesn't work for me in a sense of like, it isn't explained well enough and paid off well enough. Um, and so I think that's my least meaningful scene is like the computer files where he plays the voices and the photos. Yeah. I'm like, it's interesting, but I don't, I couldn't pitch it back to you. I don't quite know what it means and how it all works. Yeah. I, that's kind of why I wanted to bring that up now is because I was going to say it's kind of my least meaningful scene too, is it feels like a little bit of a letdown in the sense of like, either don't explain it at all. Right. Just stick with the weird magical premise and let it be. Or you've really got to explain. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I feel and like they walked right down the center of that road and like winked like they'd explained it to you. And I was like, no, <laughs> I, I still don't understand what you're saying at all. Yeah. The example screenwriters always give is Groundhog's Day, which is like, why is Bill Murray living the same day over and over? And it's like, it's just because he is, you know, and like. Right. Again, like you said, they set up the mythology of this world early on. And so the bigger motivation and what Ted Anson is and going back to his house, all that sort of stuff. Like, yeah, I don't think it works. I think that would be one area where I dock this movie where I'm like, ah, it just doesn't add much. And it, it, right. it does detract from the meaning. Part of part of the thing for me is that third act when and I think a little bit that that scene where they're all, all together and you realize like, oh, OK, these aren't just shadows created by the house right that like these are people these are real are they they're like fully sentient other people with their own motivations then you then i I guess once the shadow people become fully fledged characters with their own manipulative motivations then i need to understand who they are and how they got there yeah right like i think there's a version of this movie in which those characters don't have like their own intentions if that makes sense that if they just were how like even if they all met or whatever but if they were simply like the 20 percent cooler versions of the other, other person and it really is just sophie versus ethan and how they are relating to their feelings about their memories of each other or their desires of what the other person would be which i think is more the meaning of this movie but as soon as it's introduced that shadow sophie and shadow ethan in my interpretation, were actually other people, yes. like another couple that got duped. Like this is a long loop of people, and the only way to get off the property is to basically convince the next couple to fall out of love with each other by seducing them, and so they have to somehow train and become the new people and that's what was going on in that audio recording that we were hearing i think yes. is what it is yeah that that's a good explanation of what it was um because <laughs> i i do think that's what it is there's another couple that's been trapped they've been trained to kind of trap like become the ideal person and to imitate their voices and that sort of stuff and then they're going to use all the sessions of therapy to become that ideal person um and so to me, I'm like, again, falls flat sl slightly. What I like about it, the third act really works for me, despite all that, because what I love is I love that scene where Ethan comes and takes Sophie and they're in the bedroom and, you know, yeah. the other Sophie's there and he gives her a whole speech and he says, come with me. Like, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not as good yeah. as him, but I know we're messed up. But he's kind of totally. saying, you have a choice, Sophie. You can choose either the perfect life, 
with the perfect got me from the past or the imperfect present that I love because it's our story. It's us. And it's very romantic and it's very sweet and it's very heartfelt. And it just totally works in that moment. And then boom, he goes, they have the whole fight, the wrestling. Um, But again, I, that setting up that moment. And again, knowing that what she's choosing is evil or corrupted or whatever else, if she chooses to stay, I think makes them being fully realized characters more interesting versus just yeah. mindless shadows. I, yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, I do like that they have motivations. It's a good movie. It just, it's something's missing for me in the, in the third act. I think like, I think the shadow, I guess the shadow characters clearly have their own motivations and their own desires. Right. But I don't understand them well enough for it to like fully pay off for me, especially like let's talk about like the the literal end of the movie, which is, again, back to Inception, a little bit like the spinning top at the end of Inception. Um, Like the thing you're supposed to walk away with is that real Sophie stayed and he left with Shadow Sophie, right? Yes, because she'll let him because she's going to go make him bacon back to the bacon bit. But it's. Don't don't just say that, because for me, that's the moment that that happened. I was like, I freaking love this movie because he's sitting on the edge of the bed. It's just a shot on a tripod and he's sitting there and she's like, do you want bacon or what are you cooking? I'm cooking eggs and bacon. And then for him, he looks at the blanket. He thinks about their whole conversation. He realizes like, oh, my gosh, my wife is trapped with this other guy forever. I have left her. And then he's like, I've left her. I guess this is what it is. And then he's like, maybe it's better this way. And he does the ultimate sin that he's committing his life for. And he, you know, is like, okay, I'm going to have this better idealized person. Maybe that's right. And it's such a weird, twisty, like dark (laughs) sort of moment that I just think it's really smart of what happens there. Um, Yeah. And again, it's all done just with facial expressions, like everything that I've talked about. And totally. I love that. When you first watched it, were you surprised that that was Shadow Her at the end? Well, I was, except for there's a moment when she looks at the two, like he looks at two of them. And the way that yeah. she smiles at him, I'm like, that's kind of the way that the other girl, like it's this right. kind of innocent smile that the other girl did. And so it's like, and again, this is why I think this is great meeting the movie fodder because it's like, did he subconsciously grab her because that's what his subconscious wanted? It's like, right. I want the easier one. Did he know what we know, but he wasn't honest with himself? All that's open for interpretation. All that's open for doing a podcast and debating about it. <laughs> oh, weird. Maybe we should do that. Yeah. Because um, to me, that shot where he, he looks up, because I was sitting there thinking, hey, this movie's done an incredible job of like very subtly letting me know which character is which this whole movie, even though it's the same actors and they're not like, you're right, one's not in biker chains and the other one's in a suit, right? It's very subtle. But I have never had any problem really telling which one is which. Right. Uh, the Sophie characters are a, a, a little bit harder, but the, the shadow version definitely has a very like a little bit more quintessential 50s kind of like under curl on her bob which made it made it easier to tell but in the last like 15 minutes as they start wearing the same clothes and everything i'm like this is like this is incredibly difficult to tell who these people are i was like and then i was like oh this is on purpose for sure like it took me a second and i was like um and in that shot where he looks at 
the first girl who looks up at, at him and smiles. And then he looks over at the other one and she looks up and she's kind of like morose. Um, to me, it was so obvious that the more angry one was his actual wife. Like you said, um, and, and there's like two arguments to be made. One is the one who is a little bit more innocent and smiley. Right. Who looks at him with understanding and compassion. That is how the shadow one has always been looking at him. Um, and they make a big deal throughout the movie of the fact that Sophie is like. A little bit stern, like when the shadow version is painting a, the portrait of her and it turns into this like big joke of like she looks serious and, he, and she's like, is that how you really see me? And he's like, no, I'm just a bad painter. But there's this whole thing about the fact that like or like sometimes he calls her a bitch in the beginning of their relationship. That was like funny and they could tease each other. And now they can't. This idea that like she is kind of a call it resting bitch face kind of person. Right. Like, I don't love that expression, but like um, that is a whole trope in this movie is that that is her sort of core somewhat underneath demeanor is that she is sort of this austere, serious person. And the question is like, do you, do you love that about me or not? Right? Like this is who I am. So when he's looking at the two at the end and one is like uber innocent and like, Hey, and the other one is like kind of stern and severe. I'm like, that's clearly your wife. And the fact that he picks the other one that doesn't know it, I was like, that wasn't a twist for me. That to me was just super, super duper obvious. Um, sort of from, from the jump, I guess you could look at the other way of like, the conversation they had in the bedroom had like turned her and she was happy to be free. And that's, that's why she's nodding. And the other, and like the shadow version was still in love with shadow Ethan. And so she's mad that he like ran into the fence and died. Um, whatever, like there are versions that you can see it, but to me it was like pretty clear that he made the wrong choice in the moment. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think a couple things there. One, you know, it's a handhold for the audience to kind of like wink and let them know like, Hey, we're, this is a seed that we're planting in there and letting you know that too. I, I think when I first saw it, I interpreted it as like, Oh, maybe she learned to smile and be loving it to him again. And so he saw that. And if, if it wasn't her, this is what I thought in the moment. If that wasn't her, then surely she'd be like, Ethan idiot. (laughs) You picked the wrong girl. Like, you know, and, and again, Sophie's not picking him either. Sophie's not saying, Ethan, it's me. Let's go. Like, she never chooses him back. And so right. she's and the final shot him... is he's leaving with the one he picks. She's down on the ground, like, mourning over the dead, question mark, Ethan, on the ground. Right, like, she's nursing him or whatever else is going to happen there. And so, and then they kind of go through the whole movie, and they're going to look at the piano and that sort of stuff. So it's like, okay, clearly, like, they're yeah. back to normal. So I don't know right. if the twist was, like super shocking i just think what i was more shocked by was his decision right like what i was more shocked by was like he consciously realized like oh shoot i picked the other person but he's like oh i'm so much more happier and so i'm gonna go with her anyway so to that point what do you think this movie is saying about the whole premise of like relationships and the idealized version if both of its protagonists make ostensibly the wrong decision and the one you follow at the end seems happy with it like what what do you think this movie's saying do you think, I think it has it's a t- point of view i well i i'm i'd be re- genuinely curious of like what they think and what they'd say i think they're like my guess is they say that's more, a clever twist or whatever else yeah 
I think what the movie's trying to say or what it is is like there's nothing as intoxicating as that sort of first innocent love and it's a drug and nothing's going to beat it and you're going to like if you're not mindful of it you're going to you know succumb to it and just showing how mm. powerful it is and eventually it like kind of wrecks them both and i think for them they're happy but for us as an audience member like it's not a romantic feeling that i have when he puts on his glasses and gets up it's a like sadness it's a darkness it's a you know like yeah and so i f- i do feel like a morality there because i'm like ethan i thought you were the good guy i thought you were the true one but even you are suspect to that sort of feeling that you know you've been trying to pounce out of your wife the whole movie right right and it, it does feel like they both i do think this movie does a good job of playing it pretty even-handedly of with you know like sophie's not clearly the one who is a problem and Ethan's the white knight, right? Like they both, again, they feel like real, real people. And there are times in conversations where with both of them, I'm like, don't you see what the other person needs right now? Why are you yep. being that way? Right. <laughs> um, so, um, but I do think for at least the back half of the movie, you're definitely more in Ethan's perspective. I think you're following his um, journey and decisions and he, he becomes more of the protagonist by the end. Yeah, um, he's definitely sure. like the you, protagonist. It's his movie, although they probably have very similar screen time, very similar lines. It's definitely like he's the one making the choices because mm-hmm. he's the one who's wrestling with what this is. The second she stops wrestling with what this is, we don't identify with her anymore because as viewers, we're asking like, you need to be like, he's saying the thing that we're all thinking, which is like, they're all sitting to dinner laughing and he's like, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> this is really odd. What's happening here? And he's yeah, the one we're that's just doing all that. gonna be cool with this. Yeah. And that's what makes us identify with Ethan is because we're thinking the same thing. We're like, <laughs> like, wait, who are these people? What are yeah. they exactly? What's going on here? He's asking the questions we're asking, which puts us in, you know, that frame of mind. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. That's true. That's true. So one last little fun fact about how sort of low budget and small crew this movie is, right? So there's only really two actors on camera ever um except for at the very beginning you get the wonderful ted danson in like a scene he does a great job Um, but the the only other credited actors there's like the waitress at at the diner and like a background extra and like one scene they get credited in the credits but the in the in in the credits there's the only other basically listed people is all of the voices that are either on the phones or in the audio files oh interesting and I looked at those and I was, I was watching, watching the, the, uh, the credits. All of those people are just members of the crew or Ted Danson's wife. Wow. <laughs> um, so it's, it's like the boom op, uh, the sound mixer. Like they it, this was a small little project, right? Like I wouldn't be shocked if they said that the entire crew stayed on set in the guest house while filming like this was very clearly a tiny little movie um with next to no budget which is cool to see something with a story this well told uh with like clearly shot for almost no resources (laughs) well and i think you know his dad is ted danson so sorry charlie mcdowell who directed this okay He's the son of Ted Danson and Mary. I did not know. Okay, so I was kind of curious, like what Ted Danson was doing in this movie. I'm like, what a what a cool pull for a single scene. 
it's the it's the director's dad, which also makes sense why Mary Steenburgen, uh, Ted Danson's wife, and the director's mother, um, is uh, the the voice of Ethan's mom on the phone when he's listening to voicemails. Yeah, and and you know, like I mean, I talked to my daughter about like Hollywood and nepotism and all that sort of thing, but I'm like, yeah, I, I think this is a cool like if Ted Danson's your dad. Like this is a cool first project to get like funded and done and like it's well directed it's well written like it's just really really well executed um for what it is but i i went on a deep dive after seeing this movie of like who is this guy this is so smart and i was like oh my gosh that's ted danson's son like (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) that is cool i see i didn't i didn't dive that far but yeah so going into like february and valentine's day and you know the month that we think about romance and relationships and all, all all that fun jazz uh, we're gonna kick it off with this, uh, this wonderful little, uh, you know, r- relationship uh, m- movie that is less than heartwarming, but certainly makes you think about real life relationships. That's for darn sure. Yeah, this is not. <laughs> I would not recommend watching this on Valentine's Day. This is not like Valentine's Day week. But I love that movies like this are made. I'm gonna keep saying it because so many movies are about like forming the relationship and not the relationship themselves. And right. I don't think this movie's perfect. I think the mythology and a little kind of similar to us, although this movie's mythology bothers me less than us. But like a, a movie like that, Jordan Peele's Us, or mm-hmm. or even Nope that also we talked has about, Shadow People. There you go. Also has like, Elizabeth hey, Moss. Interesting. Yeah. Also has Elizabeth Moss. <laughs> you know, the mythology like gets gets me a little bit confused, but I think it's just kind of like it's not overly leaning into the mythology. What this movie's right. really about is about a couple. That is, you know, going through a hard time and dealing with, again, the ultimate grenade that goes into any relationship, which is like, you're not the person who I fell in love with. That's the idea, the toxic idea that dooms so many relationships. And I think the meaning of this movie is like, if you look at your spouse, if you look at your long term partner and think like, that's not the person who I fell in love with, it's impossible for them to be that person or to live up to that ideal. And if you hold on to it too much. It is going to be an atom bomb in the midst of your soul, in the midst of your relationship. And this movie explores that in just a smart, fush, smart, fun, fresh, funny way that I love it. There we go. I think if a movie is f- fresh and fun and funny in, in the future, we should just call it uh, f- Fush. <laughs> That's what uh, I call it, Fush. <laughs> just, just, just a good Fush movie. Um, yeah, no, this is, this is a real solid pick. Uh, if you are our listeners out there and you have listened to this whole podcast and watched this movie that I'm sure you didn't see before you saw this movie pop up on, uh, the, uh, the podcast episodes, uh, congratulations, uh, give yourself an extra, uh, an extra pat on the back today. I feel like this is like a bonus, um, episode uh for i was gonna say the fans but like no one was no one was asking for this episode to be produced that's that's the thing no one was like oh thank god they finally did the one i love um so if you follow this through this whole thing and watch the movie like good for you give you give yourself a solid gold star because you uh you you did something good for yourself you saw a movie you would not have otherwise seen people tell me all the time like oh i'd never seen that movie and then you guys put it on the podcast and so i went and checked it out so I feel like we gave the fans a bonus. I feel like you've never seen this movie <laughs> and now you have a great one to add to your like checked off list of what you've saw and you're like, oh wow, this is such a different film. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Meaning of the Movie, for introducing me to this amazing film. Yeah, there it is. That's, that's, that's the take. All right. All right, well, thanks for listening today. Uh, good to have you. Um, 
We'll be back next time for The Meaning of the Moon. Oh.